My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We got to stop tonight, okay? Stop thinking about the stock market as one discrete thing. We have three markets, maybe even more. After a day where the Dow advanced 39 points, S&P declined 0.05%, NASDAQ dipped one basis point. I want you to forget about the averages for a second or maybe for a week or a month or a year or, or until the end of the pandemic. Thanks to the onslaught of the coronavirus, something that no one's ever seen, we're seeing something else that's incredible. Not just the complete untethering of Main Street from Wall Street, but the disentangling of even small publicly traded companies and medium sized ones from the big dogs that have it easy and can handle this hellacious moment. <laughs> We all know Wall Street isn't Main Street. That's how, st- that's how stocks can hold up even when we get yet another hideous job loss claims number like we did this morning. But now we're seeing even more separation, that is. It, 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 it's, it's stunning. In my 40 years of investing, I have never seen anything like what I'm about to talk about. So I'm going to walk you through what could amount to a destruction of a fair share of American business that incredibly might not impact much of the stock market, at least when it comes to the market's individual stock capitalizations. So right now, the the stock market is divided into three buckets. First bucket, the companies that are big enough and deep pocket enough to ride out this quarantine no matter how long it lasts. Big businesses with great balance sheets are investable because we know eventually they'll be just fine. And they're especially investable when their stocks got hit on potentially fake news, like we saw with the Chinese data suggesting Gilead's antiviral drug Remdesivir doesn't work on COVID-19. The word out of the U.S. hospitals I've been in touch with has been quite positive on this drug when used correctly, which is one reason the stock was able to bounce a little bit off its lows. Mainly, though, you've got a whole host of well-funded, large capitalization companies that have the wherewithal to simply outlast the pandemic, and so therefore you buy them on weakness. Second bucket, the companies that have been able to think on their feet, innovate, and actually come up with solutions to profit, profit from the crisis. They don't like to talk about it like that, but I can. These companies also have good balance sheets, but they've gone above and beyond the first bucket. They're inventive, they're clever, and their stocks are screaming buys here. Look at Zoom Video. How much have we loved that company? Up another 12.5% today. Third bucket, the losers. This is by far the biggest bucket when it comes to the number of companies and their myriad employees, but not the capitalizations. Any company that needs credit, any company that's desperate for now non-existent demand, any company that makes solid loans that are now risky loans because of the pandemic, they're all in trouble. All of them. There are a ton of companies in that in that bucket, although for the most part, they're too small or medium sized to have much impact on the overall averages, in part because their stocks have already been eviscerated. For example, Macy's. Let's just use I hate to pick on Macy's because I love the store. My first credit card was a Macy's card. But Macy's an iconic American company that's currently in dire straits. But with a tiny one point five billion dollar market cap, it's not just not 
that much of a needle mover. The most important thing I heard about it was uh, our terrific mayor. The, I, I won't even say his name because he's that terrific. Uh, said yes to the, uh, having fireworks from Macy's. Well, thank you. That's very forward. Very, 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 very solid. Very rigorous. All right. So let's go over each bucket in more detail, starting with the first one. Big business. Big business with deep pockets. I'm going to give you a classic example. Earlier this week, IBM, you know that company, they reported. And after interviewing the CEO, the new fellow, Arvind Krishna, I said I like this strategy. I said I like the company. Krishna's trying to aggressively grow his hybrid cloud business, something that's gotten a lot easier since he brought in Red Hat, one of our faves, to help convert customers that might ordinarily just go right to Amazon Web Services or Microsoft's Azure or Google Cloud. I think there's enough room for everyone in the cloud business that's growing so fast. And IBM's got a leg up with businesses that need good encryption. Think Chinese stealing your data. At the same time, he's committed to maintaining IBM's juicy dividend, which currently yields 5.3%. So what happens? IBM reports a good quarter. Stock gets clobbered. I tell you to buy it because the balance sheet's strong and business is fine. Stock goes to 116 Tuesday. It's now back up to 121 I think it's going higher. Second example, the rails. Union Pacific, long my fave. All aboard. Yes, the big West Coast Railroad reported so-called weak sales. Cargos were outright weak to subpar. Exception of grain going to, ooh, our friends in China. And beer. Hey, who doesn't like beer? Both of which are thriving. But Union Pacific's done a remarkable job of cutting costs in recent years. It's so efficient that even with lackluster sales, it was able to crush the earnings estimates. I bet they keep delivering, even if the economy takes a long time to recover. And they pretty much said that. Oh, and by the way, management committed to keep paying its dividend, which currently yields 2.55%. Great balance sheet. So, of course, that payout's safe. It rallies $5 or 3.5%. Most people thought the stock would be down. They're not thinking about the new normal. How about the second bucket? All right. These are companies that were made for this moment, the ones that thrive in this new stay-at-home economy. All right. Easy ones, Amazon, Walmart, Costco. Hey, we saw it today with Target. They're poised to carve up pretty much the whole retail space, leaving almost no one other than maybe Home Depot and Lowe's. Even before COVID-19, these companies had the scale to get products much cheaper than their smaller competitors, which always allowed them to offer you lower prices. Now that so many smaller outlets have been forced to shut down already, the big box stores and Amazon own the whole industry, especially if, the, if they were smart enough to start carrying food. I'm going to throw in Dollar General there just as an afterthought. By the way, as Target CEO Brian Cornell told CNBC this morning, in April alone, our digital growth is up over 275%. We've just seen Cyber Monday occur almost every day, but the volume is twice the size of a normal Cyber Monday, end quote. Wow. The stock was down today. I bet analysts rallied behind it, especially given the fact when Shopify made similar comments that they talked about Black Friday, their stock jumped gigantically the next day and the next day and the next day. Who else is made for this moment? Well, how about Kimberly Clark and Procter & Gamble? I mean, come on. I mean, when you stay at home, you end up using more of their products, especially consumer toilet paper, because of all this social whatever. We're practicing physical this or that. Regina Gilgan's not here, our executive producer, but yesterday she scored an eight-pack, an eight-pack of toilet paper. I mean, holy cow, white gold. Yeah, um, commercial toilet paper, the kind of your workplace, a different splutching. So Hormel, yeah, spam, that's a that's a keeper. Smucker, peanut butter, General Mills, cereal, and that really expensive pet food that we feed our dogs. Not that they know the difference. And Mondelez, think Tate's, but also Oreos. They're crushing it. Same goes for McCormick. 
Talk about liquid gold. Oh, no, that's urine when it comes to IDEX labs. I forgot. Look at this. Oh, and if you're going to stir, going stir crazy, you going stir crazy. Well, what did Chipotle tell us? Just drive through the Chipotle lane. Those guys know what to do. Then they're the, stel- the shelter in place place. Zoom. Video, Ring Central, how can I help you? Zscaler, Okta, Kramer Family Fave, CrowdStrike. All these companies make it possible for you to seamlessly work from home. Underneath them, there's a whole infrastructure of cloud infrastructure. Yes, data center names, everything from Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Azure, Alphabet, Digital Realty, NVIDIA, AMD. Intel's different. So if that so-called weak quarter uh, causes weakness in the ones I just mentioned, buy them. Third Stay at home, wrinkle the companies that prevent you from going crazy when you're stuck inside. Restaurants uh, like Domino's that deliver. They got, you know, they got a, a pizza pedestal now, so they don't just put it right on your, on, you know, put it like on, on my saggy. I don't know if you see my porch. It's awful. OK. And oh, by of course, here we got Netflix and video game publishers. You get it. Finally, there's the unfortunate third <laughs> And these are the ones we got to talk about. These are the companies that might require bailouts or are requiring bailouts that are closing the doors that may be nearing bankruptcy because they need credit and can't get it. The banks are in this leaky bucket. The oils, almost all retailers, the airlines, the whole travel and leisure court, hotels, you name it. The third bucket actually reflects the very real weakness in the economy. It's the bucket that people keep saying, why isn't the market down? Why isn't the market down? Well, this bucket is down. It's like the 22 million jobs lost over the past five weeks. These troubled companies are a lot like the small businesses that need money from the payroll protection program that's getting re-upped by Congress. In some cases, we actually had publicly traded companies abscond with our money. But the most important thing here is that the third bucket's a lot bigger than the first two when it comes to employees and when it comes to the fabric of our society, which is why it's so tough to own index funds here. In an index, you end up owning both the winners and the losers. And I think the third bucket will do better than the small, medium-sized private businesses. But holy cow, you don't want them in your portfolio. Until we get a vaccine that lets people safely go to crowded stores and restaurants and movie theaters and airplanes, they're not making a comeback. And a vaccine could take a lot longer than we want. Remember, the essence of those businesses it has, is it's supposed to be crowded. In this day and age, crowds are the one thing you're not allowed to have. Bottom line, stop circling the wagons around index funds here. If you want to invest right now, you have to own some stocks from the second bucket, the COVID winners. And whenever the market gets slammed, you can buy members of the first bucket, the big businesses with deep pockets. But the third bucket, the losers, I think you have to sell them to any strength that we had this morning or yesterday. They're too toxic to own. And unless we get a vaccine real soon, they're going to stay that way. Brian in Oregon. Brian. Oh, yeah. Kramer, Kramer, first time, long time. All right. Good to have you. My daughter lived in Oregon a long time. I like your state. A lot of trees. A lot of trees. Nice and green. Hey, man, I have a position in waste management that's a 1.5% of my portfolio. Average price is 108 I was buying on the way down and thought this would be COVID and recession proof. Recently got a down a lot of downgrades to neutral. Is this a balance sheet issue with their opinion? Nah, $5 their balance sheet's fine. It's just you need a lot of construction for them to do well. People forget it's a construction company. I like fish. I like the stock. I think you should be a buyer. I think it's the right level. Marshall in Vermont. Marshall. Hi, Jim. This is Marshall calling from Burlington, Vermont, with a question about Kraft Heinz. So this packaged food giant has been struggling with debt and declining sales for the past few years. 
but I'm wondering if it's now safe to buy given the recent surge in packaged food sales. I will say that even that, the worst company in its cohort, I mean, I am talking about a company that is the benchmark of bad, is better than, say, like any cruise ship stock you might want to buy. And Royal Caribbean was up two bucks today. All right, the market's divided into three buckets. Please choose widely because one of them is real bad, man, buddy, tonight. Domino's, oh, bucket two, declined today. Buying opportunity, I'm going to talk to the CEO, find out whether it's well-situated in a coronavirus-influenced business environment. Then while everyone was worried about bank earnings last week, you may have missed one of the strongest quarters we had, and that was from United Health Group, crunching the numbers. And it's a speculative biotech stock that's racing to find a vaccine for COVID-19 and is the number one traded stock on Robinhood. It's in Nivea. And i got to tell you, this in Novio, it's right from down the block from me. And Novio, right next to me. Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. After spending the last month roaring higher, Domino's pizza stock got hammered today, down more than 3%. Uh, that was after the company reported good, but not perfect quarter. So did we get a little ahead of ourselves with this one, or do you have to treat this weakness as a buying opportunity, since you know we've liked this since $10? For years, Domino's has been a leader in the delivery space, which is what's allowed them to thrive during the lockdown. When the company pre-announced some terrific sales numbers at the end of March, stock caught fire. But this morning, we got the full earnings report, and while it was mostly good, Big top and bottom line beat. There was some hair on it. Turns out a big chunk of that earnings beat was driven by a lower effective tax rate. Plus, their business update for the last few weeks of the current quarter was, uh, let's say, a little mixed. Doing fine domestically, international numbers, and maybe a little less encouraging. Of course, management withdrew their long-term guidance because it's impossible to make that kind of forecast right now. I'm encouraging all companies to stop guiding. Stop it. So even after today's pullback, this stock's up more than 25% for the year. I think we stick with it. And this week, this is a gift. Do not take it from me. Let's speak with Rich Allison, the CEO of Domino's Pizza, get a better read on the quarter. And Alice Company's handling this difficult environment. Mr. Allison, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, Rich, let's just dispense with everything here. We had a horrible, miserable unemployment number this morning. Everyone knows it's terrible. I got about five companies that hire that are hiring because of demand. Yours is one of them, right? We sure are, Jim. You know, we announced a couple of weeks back uh, that as a system in the U.S. across our corporate stores, supply chain, and franchise stores, we're out there trying to hire more than 10,000 team members. And one of the reasons for that, frankly, is because you guys are taking a lot of shares the way I look at it. Well, we we feel very fortunate um, that we've been able to remain open and operating uh, during this crisis. And... um, in serving our customers, you know, demand has been very strong, and we frankly need more people, you know, out on the road delivering delivering food to our customers in time of need, Jim. So we're we're you know, we're fortunate and uh, very grateful for the opportunity to continue to serve customers and to continue to employ team members around the country. And some of these delivery people obviously are are not just uh, working for profit. You are doing something that is amazing for the people who cannot eat in this country because they do not have enough money right now. 
Yeah, we, we announced a, a program we call Feed the Need uh, to provide 10 million slices of pizza out in to communities around the country. And you know, we're providing all the food for that. Our franchisees uh, are providing the labor uh, in their communities. And we've asked our franchisees to identify the need locally because they're, they're the heroes in their local communities. They know where the need is greatest, whether it's school children who aren't getting lunch, uh, workers on the front line, you know, in our hospitals and other first responders or essential retail workers. We're just proud to be able to, to serve, uh, Jim, at this particular time. Just when I thought your company could uh, no longer innovate, there wasn't much left to innovate. How about a pizza pedestal? Well, there's not much that hasn't changed in our business. You know, in the last six weeks, I talked to folks internally and I say, you know, we've taken 60 years worth of standard operating procedures and rewritten most of them in, in six weeks. And contactless delivery is a big part of that. Uh, and the pizza pedestal is an innovation our team came up with so that when we bring you your food, we don't have to sit it on the ground or an unclean surface. You know, we're able to put it on top of a recyclable little pizza pedestal so you can take your food in a contactless way and either recycle that or we'll bring it back and recycle it ourselves. Yeah, someone has done it. It's a much better way because I've had some food delivered and I've said, "Uh uh-uh, no, because it was on my porch, on my porch. I don't want my food sitting on my porch. Okay, so Jeff, uh, Lawrence, your CFO, I I love him. He did say, we don't know what the new normal is going to be. That makes sense. But if you had to just kind of, Look a little bit crystal ball in the future. If this continues, isn't the new normal that unfortunately a lot of the smaller guys who didn't get the PPP may not be able to stay in business? You know, Jim, I I sure hope that we don't end up in a place where we don't have independent restaurant companies serving customers. You know, I I know you love independence, you know, and my wife and I eat at a lot of them uh, ourselves. So, I sure hope that those folks are able to survive, uh, you know, this this crisis. But but along the way, I, I think you know it, things are going to be different for for quite a while. I think you know delivery is going to continue to be important, and contactless delivery is going to continue to be part of the new normal uh, for quite some time uh, to come. But I sure hope we all pull through this together. We've still got a world where you can get your Domino's pizza, but you can also, you know, get your uh, get your food from your local uh, independent restaurant as well. But the one thing I would say, Rich, is, as someone who has one of these, has two of these, is that if you have to pull half of our seats out, it doesn't matter how much PPP you get. Your profitability is going to be cut in half unless you can raise price. I am not looking at a world right now where I think you can raise price. Do you see a world where you can suddenly start raising price because you can't to try to make it up when you can't do the volume? Jim, I, I don't. You know, in fact, I think if anything, customers are probably going to be more price conscious as we look forward. You talked a bit earlier about the unemployment numbers that are coming out. And, you know, we all know in the restaurant industry, you know, folks that are employed and earning increasing wages are what really drive the growth in the industry over time. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of of price in uh, price headroom out there for some time to come. Uh, Last question. I know that you guys advertise a lot in uh, professional sports Uh, that costs a lot of money. Uh, is it possible that it actually may be kind of a very strange benefit that the other guys can't advertise who might be taking who try to take your share? So if everybody is shut down from big sports advertising, it could be good for your bottom line. 
Well, certainly, you know, when we look at advertising going forward, we're not slowing down at all. You know, we, in fact, we think that, you know, in a time like this, you know, we need to lean in even more to get the, the messages around value and around uh, how we can safely serve our customers. You know, should we see some pullback, you know, more broadly in the advertising space, it could help us, you know, with delivery of, uh, of eyeballs, you know, right. to Domino's ads and share a voice uh, overall, but still really early in the cycle to, to see how that's ultimately going to play out, Jim. You're absolutely right. That's a very good point. I want to thank Rich. Just a, another great quarter. Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's. Good work, sir. Thanks, Jim. Stay safe. And thanks for giving all those slices away. You're a good man. Man, money's back after the break. Now that the market's rebounding again, I want to circle back to a recession-resistant company that reported some surprisingly strong numbers last week that really no one paid attention to. Talk about United Health, giant Dow stock. UNH is the definite best of breed player in the managed care industry. But going into the quarter, I've got to admit, I, I, I was a little concerned. We've never had to evaluate a health insurer in the middle of a pandemic before. So there were a lot of open questions. Could it crush them? Who knew? We know that managed care industry can keep delivering during a recession. But what about a public health emergency? The market wasn't sure. UNH stock had peaked above 300 in February, then plummeted below $200 at its March lows. Over the past few weeks, it started rebounding, climbing to 270 right before the report. And I was concerned that it might be getting ahead of itself. And then UNH delivers a solid top and bottom line beat, which sent the stock surging above 300 at its highest last week. Although, as of today, it's pulled back to 285. Mm. However, this wasn't a, a Totally clean set of numbers by any stretch of the imagination. While UNH got hit with a bunch of COVID-related costs, they were more than offset by the fact that millions of people are postponing expensive procedures until our healthcare systems under less strain. Although that could be letting up right now. The virus makes it much harder for you to see a doctor. And that's great for the managed care industry's bottom line, at least for the moment. Obviously not great for people who get sick, which is why UNH is adamant that they don't want to profiteer from members' lack of access to healthcare right now. Crucially, UNH sees the same dynamic playing out through the second quarter. Makes sense. But what happens for the health insurance companies in the second half of the year? Well, that's the big question. Presumably, once people can go to the hospital without putting themselves at risk. And I think, again, that's starting to happen. I'm trying to eliminate some of the fear out here. UNH will be on the hook for all those expensive procedures that were postponed. So is UNH still worth buying here? Why don't we drill down, do some analysis? Let's start with the most important piece of the puzzle. How UNH, how's it handling the pandemic? Right off the bat, the company tells us they earn $3.72 per share. That's a nine-cent beat. Not many companies beat by that much. And management notes, quote, these results reflect minimal impact from the progression of the COVID-19 virus across the U.S., given various factors that only emerged late in the quarter, end quote. In the last couple of weeks of March, they started seeing the dynamic I already mentioned. A lot more claims for the coronavirus, but far fewer claims for nearly everything else. Before the quarter, some analysts were worried that UNH might withdraw its full-year forecast because that's what so many other businesses have done. And by the way, I have said something I favor because I want to get out of the guidance business for companies. But UNH didn't do that. Instead, they maintained their full-year earnings guidance, and that's remarkable. Although maybe we should have seen it coming. Johnson & Johnson delivered a great quarter last Tuesday, but you see, they had to shade their forecast down by about 10% because of weakness in the medical device business. 
That weakness is UNH's strength because they're the ones who normally be on the hook for those medical devices. What else? First, quarter revenues grew by 6.8% year over year. Not bad. Better than expected. Not only is the insurance business holding up, they're also seeing strength in Optum. That's my favorite part of the company. It's their health information technology division. In fact, Optum's killing it here. It's up nearly 25%. The medical care ratio, what they spend on coverage as a percentage of what they take in, that came in a full percentage point below what Wall Street was expecting, although most of that's because the tax on expensive health insurance is back in action. Honestly, the headline numbers matter a lot less than the conference call commentary. That's always been, by the way, UNH is one of those. You trade this one before the conference call. You're an idiot. The first 10 weeks of the quarter were the old normal. We care about the new normal. What's the pandemic mean for UNH in the current quarter in the second half of the year? Let me give you some highlights. What made management confident enough to maintain their full-year forecast? CEO David Wickman, you know I'm a big fan, explains, quote, we view this as the most reasonable baseline posture in these uncertain times, end quote, although he also admits that this situation is still very much in flux. Wickman's also adamant that UNH won't use this crisis as an opportunity to bilk its clients. I like that. While we still don't have clarity on the rest of the year, CFO John Rex points out, and I quote, the second quarter could have the lowest medical care ratio uh, of the year, potentially meaningfully so, with elective care demand still restrained, end quote. Of course, that's going to be offset when the lockdown ends and people can see their doctors for non-urgent procedures again. Normally in situations where healthcare gets shut down, say there's a hurricane, demand comes right back as soon as the system opens for business again. But we don't know when our system will have a spare capacity again. We don't know when people feel safe going to a hospital. So it's possible that demand won't snap back as fast as you might expect, although Wickman and Rex were adamant that they can't really predict what any of this will look like. Even if things get rough, Rex tells us that, and I quote again, we ended the quarter with an intentionally higher excess cash balance and a higher than normal debt to capital ratio, end quote. They're doing what's necessary to keep the balance sheet strong. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, UNH wants to be a good corporate citizen. They exploited $2 billion worth of payments to healthcare providers because these providers desperately need the money. They put some money into covering the homeless. They've been sourcing personal, uh, personal protective equipment for the broader industry. They said they may provide premium relief to employers that aren't making any money right now. I think these guys grasp the mood, the zeitgeist of the country, and they really don't want to come out of this crisis looking like bad people. I wouldn't be surprised if they stopped buying back stock, not because they need the money, but because it doesn't look good. Good. What about the massive spike in unemployment? More than 22 million people have filed for jobless benefits in the past month. That's staggering. Most people get their health insurance from their employers. So in addition to the human cost of these layoffs, they might also represent a lot of lost business for the managed care industry. Seems reasonable, right? Well, UNH said this is something they're closely monitoring. And management conceded that there could be pressure on both the enrollment growth and pricing going forward. That is suboptimal. That had been a big fear of mine. But on the other hand, their Optum information technology business is getting a boost. There's a lot more demand for their telehealth services, for example. UNH expects Optum to get more business as cash-strapped hospitals look for ways to save money. Put it all together, and there's still a ton of uncertainty. But it looks like United Health is going to be okay. In an environment where investors crave consistency, I don't think it's overvalued at 17 times this year's earnings forecast. No, I mean, for the finest? Not at all. The bottom line, United Health didn't provide a ton of clarity last week, but they gave us enough to feel confident that it's safe to own the stock during a tumultuous period. And I think it's absolutely worth buying here, although I'd like it even more on weakness, as it is the best of breed in the group. Let's go to Doug in New York. Doug. Hello, Jim. Doug. Jim from the future, this is Doug from Brooklyn with a big Brooklyn booyah to ya. I miss Brooklyn. 
hiding out in a quarantine place. What's good? Thank you. What's going on? All right. Before the pandemic, I initiated a position on exact sciences, uh, ticker EXAS. Now, since you are from the future, and I assume there will be a future since I am talking to you, I would like to know if you think I should increase my position. No, no, don't increase your position. It's an uncertain time. What's working here, just so you know, is tried and true. I mean, this is a J&J market, uh, Doug. It is. It's a J&J market. It's an Eli Lilly market. And you know what? Sometimes we just have to accept that and say the big money is going to be made in those areas. Doug's from Brooklyn. I'm sharing him the best that I have. Let's go to Bruce in Wisconsin. Bruce. Hey, big booyah, Jim, from Titletown. All right. Um, with, the, with the fear of the, of the virus keeping people home, it seems the healthcare sector is undervalued. We saw good numbers from United Health. Do you think uh, Sigma will follow suit? You know what? David Cordani is pretty darn good. He came on the show. I know the world's upside down since he came on. But, boy, what a great move. If you had bought it when he did come on, obviously people had to switch things around. But I'll go with Cordani. I'll go with Signa. I think you're okay. Why don't we go to uh, Shervin in New York? Shervin. Hey, Jim. This is Shervin, chiropractor from Long Island, New York. All right. I can use one right now. My back is killing me. What's up? (laughs) My core holding is BioNTX, symbol BNTX. It's a $10 billion company with 11 active trials and 20 preclinical trials. It's partnered with Sanofi, Roche, Eli Lilly, Bill Gates Foundation, and Pfizer. Yesterday, Pfizer announced that they got approval to start human clinical trials in Germany for their four vaccines to treat coronavirus. And they also announced that they're going to have trials to start in China and in the USA very shortly. I hear hear good things. I hear good things. But just so you know, I hear nothing but good things about remdesivir in this country. The Chinese have been trying to derail Gilead and remdesivir, and they tried it again, this time working with their pals at at the WHO. I think that Pfizer's doing well on the vaccine. J&J's doing well. And I think Gilead's doing well on the antibodies. By the way, so is Fujifilm. But that's okay, because we always take the wisdom of China. Mainstream media loves China. This is not mainstream media and mad money. UNH is a recession-resistant company that's given us enough to feel confident about. I think it's one of the best-run companies in America, and it's a buy, especially on a pullback. Much more mad money at a second potential COVID-19 vaccine. This one backed by Bill and Melinda Gates. Smart people. Just entered human testing, and I've got the CEO. Don't miss my exclusive with the most popular stock traded on a Robinhood and Novio. Then what does this rally in oil tell us? I'm giving you my take after the whipsaw action in what may be a phony contract commodity. And oil calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. On Tuesday, I highlighted the 10 most bought stocks on Robinhood, the disruptor, last month. And you know what? The number one name on the list was a little biotech that many of you have never heard of, Inovio Pharmaceuticals. That's located a bike ride away from where I grew up. Inovio is an interesting story. Their technology lets them create tiny fragments of DNA, which they then inject into you to produce targeted antigens that help your immune system target all sorts of diseases, including HPV and several types of cancer. Key here, though, is that Inovio is working on a COVID-19 vaccine. They're one of only two companies that have 
already begun human trials, the other being Moderna. That's why the stock has more than tripled since the beginning of the year, including a 50% move over the past few weeks. I think, obviously, you need to be a little careful in speculating on a white-hot, early-stage biotech stock, especially with the ones with COVID-19 exposure. And I'm hesitant to just say, hey, listen, just go buy it. But this is a huge story. So let's take a closer look with Dr. Joseph Kim. He's the president and CEO of Inovio Pharmaceuticals to learn more about this COVID vaccine. Dr. Kim, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Great to be here. I'm so glad to see you again, sir. Uh, and also very proud of the fact that Plymouth Meeting, where right from from, is the home of one of two companies that is doing human trials. How are you able to move so quickly into human trials? Well, for two reasons. We have better technology that allows us to use just the DNA to develop our vaccine and very dedicated employees. Uh, we have a 200 person strong Employees as magnified by, you know, thousands of our collaborators and partners and manufacturers out there, allowing us to move very fast. I think people have to recognize that this isn't just a trial uh, that is done with any old institution. You're doing it uh, in Kansas City, but also with HUP. And I regard HUP as being maybe one of the top two or three hospitals in the country. Absolutely. Uh, uh, It helps that uh, that's my alma mater. Uh, and, and also we've done a lot of collaborative work over the years. Uh, but we're also looking forward because phase one studies uh, we can do anywhere. But phase two and beyond, we want to leverage some of the top institutions like the University of Pennsylvania. Now, a lot of people told me, you know what, you can't move fast on a vaccine because we are, of course, re- reluctant to give a healthy person something that could get them sick. Uh, given that that high hurdle, it is rather amazing you already do it. So they, they must, the authorities, must feel quite confident in what you're doing. Well, you know, I can't speak for them, but I think the results speak for themselves. So we're able to start our phase one studies from design to first person dose in 83 days. So that's incredible lightning speed. And I think uh, we're able to meet all of the criteria that we set for ourselves and also with the regulators. Now, do you check in those people every day? Uh, yes, we have our people talking to our PIs, both in Kansas City and Philadelphia, almost every day. And everyone's still in the star. Everyone who started, I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but is still in it, doing fine? Oh, absolutely. So far, so good. And in fact, we expect to uh, finish enrollment of all 40 volunteers before the end of April. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, uh, one of the things, I, one of the reasons why I think that's possible is that the most important foundation for health in this country is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they gave you a five million dollar grant. How did that come about? Well, they've been a supporter of our vaccine technology and various programs over the years, and so this was uh, really great to get this five million dollars to advance our program. Uh, we also got support from CEPI, which is a global health organization as well as the U.S. Department of Defense to expand our manufacturing capabilities for our vaccine. And we expect this global network of funders to even grow uh, in the coming weeks and months. Now, it is very expensive to do big trials. Are you financed well enough to be able to take the next step if things go well in phase one? Yes, Uh, we have internal funding. But we also expect uh, a lot of external funding to support scaling up and conducting our later trials. And these could be various government agencies, Gates Foundation, CEPI, just to name a few. 
Now, uh, the other day when I said that you were the number one stock that's traded uh, uh, at Robinhood, people said, oh, boy, well, that's ridiculous. I said, have you looked at Dr. Kim's background? Decades of biotech, pharma management. You were Merck, hepatitis A and B vaccines and HIV vaccines. So this really is your bailiwick. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can say not just me, but many of us working at Inovio, we have been really working hard preparing for such a crazy pandemic like this coronavirus. Now, people keep telling me, Jim, even the fastest vaccines take five years. Stop getting people's hopes up. By the way, sir, I have not said that we will see anything before a year and a half, but that I am being too optimistic, that that's my nature. And I'm and I'm uh, really kind of taking people down the wrong path. It, it is possible to develop a, a powerful vaccine in a year and a half to two years, isn't it? It's possible, especially if you have a platform that's shown to be safe. And if you have tested similar approaches before against other pathogens like we have. But, you know, I would rely on someone smarter than me, like Tony, Dr. Tony Fauci, who thinks that within the 12 to 18 months, it is possible to get one or more uh, vaccines approved and ready for limited use, targeted use. Uh, but I think it is very possible. Do you talk to Dr. Fauci at all? Uh, not directly in a while, but uh, certainly I said hello at our White House uh, task force meeting about a month ago. And uh, when you uh, are, you know that that Pfizer's got a partner, uh, you know, that J&J is in there doing things up at Harvard. I mean, these are really big, deep pocketed guys. Do you think you can play with them? Yes. So, um, you know, as I already mentioned, we created and are leading a global coalition of collaborators, partners, funders, and manufacturers. So of course we can always tie up with the bigger muscle companies like those uh, you mentioned, uh, but we think we have enough uh, resources, dedication, uh, and, and financial and human resources to execute our plans. All right, look, sir, I have to wish you the best of luck. And it's always great to see you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thanks, Jim. All right. That's Dr. Joseph Kim, president and CEO of Inovio Pharmaceuticals, the number one traded name on Robinhood. And money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. And the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Jump in the lightning round, guys. Jumping. I'm gonna start with Isaac in Colorado. Isaac. Hey, Jim. It's Isaac Endeavor. Thanks for having me on the show. I love it. Good to have you on the team. So yeah, I'll keep it short. I got a question about uh, ticker RTX Raytheon. I got an answer about RTX. I think it's a terrific combination, and it should be bought. Ah, I wish my Travel Trust owned that. I got to get on the case. Let's go to Brian in New York. Brian. Booyah! Hey, Jim. Hope all is well. First off, I just want to say I appreciate the insight you provide all of us retail investors during these crazy times. You're the man. Well, it's an introvert's paradise, frankly. What else? Yeah, also really love the football talk when you come to the Guru's XM radio show. Really great comedy. Keep it up. I'm going to go second round this year. You know, to the combine, I was too slow. What's up? Yeah, I I just won my work league, so I'm I'm there with you. Uh, So my question is regarding a company I've been eyeing the past few weeks. Wanted to get your thoughts on both the stock and when would be a good time to initiate a position. 
Great company with a balance sheet built like a battleship to weather down turns like this. The company is Crown Castle. Oh, Crown Castle, man, that is a castle keeper. I like that stock. We just recommended it the other day. We actually, we look at that chart. I mean, that chart, that is a reverse head and shoulders I just dream of. Richard in New Jersey. Richard! Jim, with the NFL draft tonight, I was wondering if I should add a stock that I've heard a lot about lately to my team. Marvel Technology. That's a first-round pick because we have a use to this own actionalertsplus.com. It is Mr. 5G. And what a quarter. If it weren't for COVID, well, everybody would be happy. Let's go to Joyce in New York. Joyce! Hey, Jim. It's great to hear you. All right, Joyce. What's going on? Can you help me out with the stock called Tronics? Oh, Tronics. Uh, you know what? We're not going to good that. See, that's the kind of stock... That is just too hard, okay? Now, I saw a great note from Frank Fitch the other day about trucks. I don't like the chemicals here. I'm going to throw in that I, I, that I think the Dow should be sold as much as I like uh, Mr. Fiddling. Let's go to uh, Mark in Arizona. Mark! Jimmy Chill, big booyah from the high country in Arizona. Did Chill Man be back? What's up? I hear you, brother. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I want to ask you about a stock I've been uh, looking at. It did very well last year. Recently, it took a big dip, and I wanted to see if you thought it was a good buying opportunity. Uh, the stock is Builders First Source. No, 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 we're not going to do that. If you want professional construction, why don't we just go buy Home Depot, okay? Home Depot, I, you know, I, I sold that from my Chapel Trust. I'm itching to get back in. Just need it to be at 190 All right, how about we go to Alex in Virginia? Alex. Booyah! Hey there, Jim. First-time caller. Huge fan of yours. I love Mad Money. Thank you for taking my call. Could be Alexis, could be Alexandria, but we're going with Alex. What's up? (laughs) Uh, Retail world, we know, is getting hit hard. So what are your thoughts on Lululemon just weathering this? Lululemon is one of the few that you can own. As a matter of fact, what happens is that all the people who have to own an apparel stock, they're shifting out of every other apparel stock and going into Nike or Lulu. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You need to get comfortable with the idea that whole sections of this market can be phony. That's my takeaway from the whipsaw action in oil prices this week. We don't know the proximate cause by Monday's, on Monday's oil meltdown that took the price of crude to negative $37 a barrel. Some of it's the lack of demand because of COVID. Some of it's the way the futures market works. But I think a lot of it had to do with this thing called the United States Oil Fund, the USO for short, which is a publicly traded commodity pool. See, the USO owned a bunch of futures contracts that were expiring, which meant they would have to take physical delivery of all that oil. But there's one teensy tiny problem. This fund's charter doesn't allow it to own actual oil. It's only allowed to own the futures. That meant the USO had to unload its futures contracts at any price before they expired. It's basically a gigantic for sale, which is how you end up with the price of crude in the ridiculous negative $37 territory. The USO was a lousy investment. The last time the economy broke down, it's a lousy investment once again. So I'm not thrilled that it was the single most heavily bought stock on Robin on Tuesday. You should stay away from this. No, no, I am urging you to stay away from this. It's flim flam. But more importantly, Monday's oil collapse was mostly artificial. It was bogus and it freaked out the entire stock market. 
sort of some ridiculous pin action. Look! I don't blame anyone for seeing the breakdown in oil and assuming the whole economy must have just ground to a halt. However, with oil rallying back to the mid-teens today, that should tell you the real problem here is with the malfunctioning oil futures market, especially when it interacts with the badly flowed out commodity operations slash ETF. Think of it like this. Every other commodity can uh, get to the last day. Uh, you can destroy it. You can destroy it. You can burn it rather than take delivery. Uh, you, you can just dump it in the ocean. I don't know. But you can't just get rid of crude. No. You got to store it someplace. And by Monday, we were mostly out of storage space. There were plenty of traders who knew that this USO was about to get caught with his pants down. They would have no choice but to dump that stuff, those futures, at any price. And they were being shot at. Remember, this is an oil fund that's only allowed to own futures, not oil. So the real big boys took them apart. The traditional Wall Street buyers for these contracts, they smell blood. So they walked away until the final minutes of trading. Then the USO was forced to pay them to take the oil off its hands. Morons. However, once the May contract expired, the USO issue went away. And oil went back to business as usual. Sure, the new normal has the price of crude in the teens, but that's a lot better than negative 37. The thing is, even that's misleading. Do you know what the uh, stocks of the oil producers have been doing this week? Well, they've been rallying and rallying furiously when even the day that oil cratered to 34. Why? Because there is a complete disconnect. Sure, most of these companies won't be able to make money with oil in the teens, but their stocks are telling you that they're not looking at a wholesale collapse of the industry yet. So the reality of oil is probably better than the action the futures would lead you to believe. But does that mean you should own the oil stocks? No way. They know nothing! Sell, sell, sell! I'd avoid the oils because their cost structures are out of whack. They're not able to shut down their wells easily, which is a problem when they need to turn off the spigot like they badly do. Many of them borrow fortunes to drill, betting that the price of crude would snap back after the epic meltdown in 2014. Few of them saw this pandemic coming and hedged out future production. Now, sure, so there's some good guys. We like Parsi, we like EOG, we like Diamondback, we like Chevron. Pioneer. I honestly think the oil stocks are being propped up by mindless index fund buyers. Remember, they're in the indices. More importantly, I'd avoid the oils because what happened this week with the USO could happen again next month when the June contract expires. We could have another zero again. This thing's too easy to shoot down. We're not building enough storage, and we haven't made the necessary production cuts. If a manipulated instrument representing only a few hundred million dollars can bring down almost a trillion dollars worth of oil stocks, something is very wrong with this picture. Still one more reason to avoid the USO and to avoid an already top. Group. Stick with Kramer. Look, Jimmy Cho wants to remind people that uh, I can't own stocks, all right? So why did I feel so uh, aggrieved by the Chinese story about the Gilead drug? Because of what Piper Sandler said tonight, which is that the person who designed the drug for America just sold it was just an outright incorrect statement to call it a flop. But you know what? A lot of you want to believe the Chinese media more than you believe our media. And you know what? What I can say is God love you. I'm Jimmy Chu. Intel, we're going to have to check that quarter. I like NVIDIA off that because the Mellanox deal is going to be good. NVIDIA is doing so many things right. And so, of course, so is AMD. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Mark's Turmoil, host by Scott Wapner, begins now. Now. 